The hard thing about being a student is that there are two things. One is that the administration knows that you have like four-year tenure, right? That like four years, you're out of there, a new crop of students. Mm -hmm. So what you find in colleges is like students don't really understand their power to like junior year, and then they're trying to, they're like mm -hmm. studying abroad, then it, they're senior at fall, and they're trying to think about their future. Mm -hmm. And that, that works towards a status quo. Like it, mm -hmm. you know, the time that you're like the most ready and most whatever, you're also trying to plan for a life. Mm -hmm. So the question becomes, how do we have like the seniors help like radicalize like the freshmen, right? Like, so they're like, people get it early and they're like, we can do this. Um, the second thing is that like, part of the deal in college is that you have to come out a better reader, writer and thinker. That like, fight the institution because you should make sure that every place you live is like a good, safe and just space. You also need to make sure that place shows up for you with your mind that like, if all you get out of four years is that you like got a new statue or something, that you just got like a, a not great into the bargain. And like you need to make sure that the place like shows up for you too. Disillusionment is the name of the game in college. As a kid, you're told your voice doesn't matter. And when you're old enough to vote, it doesn't always feel like it matters. I feel like as students, we're stuck in limbo because we haven't really come into our own yet, just as DeRay McKesson, popular civil rights activist, points out. However, this contrasted with the historical precedent of social and political change starting on college campuses puts a weird sort of pressure on students. We're supposed to go out, make our voice heard, and demand attention, but no one really ever taught us how. This week on the podcast, we're finding out what that looks like on campus. When it comes to navigating being a student and being a citizen of the world, it's a long horn story. Texas would be totally different if we voted. And I hate to say this, but colleges are some of the worst. You know, isn't it important enough to you for your future to go do something about it? I think it is. That was Lupe Valdez. She is running for governor as a Democrat against incumbent Greg Abbott. Lawrence Olivo looks into just that problem, that college students don't vote, and how UT is addressing it. On October 3rd, the UT Young Conservatives of Texas protested in support of the then-Judge Brett Kavanaugh. On October 9th, students and activists rallied on Speedway as part of the Stand with Survivors demonstration in response to YCT. Student activism is a part of the cultural identity of UT Austin. It is an ever-present aspect of campus life, and regardless of one's political views, we should be proud of having so many vocal members of society. Yet for all these apparent activists, one of the most important places for students to be active today is one where participation is dismally low, the voting booth. According to Pew Research Center, only a small amount of Americans actually vote. During the 2016 presidential election, only 55% of Americans actually voted. As Americans, we tend to believe that we're a model for global democracy. Yet the truth is that few Americans actually take part in our right to vote. We know how Americans as a whole take part in voting, but what about Texas? What about UT? So at UT, uh, I believe 56.5% of students voted. I'm not exactly sure about Texas, but I know Texas is pretty bad at voting, and I know the US voted about 55% in the last election, so we're better than the average American, and basically that's guaranteed to be better than the average Texan, because Texas is not great at voting. 
UT Votes is an organization on campus that has been helping students register to vote in the upcoming midterms. On top of their table was a stack of filled applications from new voters, ready to let their voices be heard. So why do UT students vote at a higher rate than the national average? Aside from the efforts of UT Votes, UT faculty have also been doing their part to encourage students. I spoke with a couple members of the UT faculty to see what they had been doing to encourage people to vote. There's a lot of data that the youngest cohort of uh, eligible voters are the least likely to vote. And so one of the things that research also shows is if students start voting early, then they continue voting. Davida Charney is a professor of rhetoric and writing in the College of Liberal Arts. Thanks to her background in rhetoric and writing, Professor Charney has always encouraged her students to pay attention to what's happening in politics and the rhetoric displayed therein. She has offered students the opportunity to earn extra credit for taking part in activities, such as voting in the upcoming midterm. She believes now is the best time to encourage this engagement. I think that it's that this time of life when, when students are um, in college is the time that they finally um, have the realization that the things that they do will affect society. That's why having encouragement and asking them to do these things and getting into the habit of it and feeling like it's their civic responsibility and not just something that they can, you know, do voluntarily, you know, it doesn't matter. Uh, that's why it's important to me. Extra credit is certainly one method to try and get students that first step into having an active voice, but it isn't the only way. Adam Rabinowitz is an associate professor in the Department of Classics and an assistant director at the Institute of Classical Archaeology at UT Austin. He has tried to instill into his students the importance of voting through its relevance to their studies and learning about ancient Greece. The Athenians um, used to have the Scythian police force get a rope and drag people to the assembly. Uh, so they had a compulsion to make people go and participate in this popular assembly. And at a certain point, they also offered payments, uh, so bribing people to participate. I am not in favor of straight bribes to go vote because I think the incentive structure is wrong. I want people to want to do it, and then I want to make it really easy for them. But this is not just a privilege. It is an obligation. If you are going to be a citizen of a representational democracy, then you need to go and express your voice. Expressing one's voice is easier than ever for students today. Yet for all the protests that we hear about in the news, the numbers just don't add up when it comes to actually going to the polls. Professor Rabinowitz sheds light on an interesting concept that people should take to heart. Our job is to convince people, our job as a nation is to convince people that it is both in their own interests and an act of civic duty to go and vote. That if you, if you give up on that system, eventually only a small number of people will be making decisions. And at that point, people who disagree with those decisions will either uh, take over or be violently suppressed. You can protest, um, which is useful, but without voting, not going to accomplish any change. You can protest all you want. The point at which protests accomplish something 
is the point at which violence get in, gets involved, either because the state violently suppresses the, suppresses the protests and that energizes people, or because the protesters violently attack the state. Not the, again, not the way we want to go. If you're worried about polarization, if you're worried about cultural splits in the country, participating in the voting process is a way to at least try to bridge some of those gaps. Unfortunately, the window for voting registration has closed, but many students have already registered, and with early voting locations at the FAC and PCL, accommodations have been made to help students vote this November. So, will you? In today's political climate, almost everything involving gender is a polarizing issue. Alexis Thomas looks into the Feminist Action Project, which uses a variety of different tactics to advocate for their beliefs across campus. What comes to mind when you think about activism? Is it the March on Washington or the Women's March? Do you think about burning bras and riots? I bet you're not thinking about writing poems and taking pictures. However, these creative alternatives to traditional protests are what the Feminist Activist Project is currently working on. The Feminist Activist Project is a student-run organization that organizes activist programs, conversations, and events for gender justice here on campus. And one of the ways they do that is by teaming up with the Queer and Trans Student Alliance and organizing a yearly zine. For those who don't know, a zine is a DIY publication of poems, pictures, and other mediums of art that became a DIY form of activism back in the 90s with the Riot Girl movement. Feminists and other minority groups have been publishing zines for decades as a cheap and inclusive way for people to express their thoughts and feelings on feminism and social justice. So you can see why a zine is right up the alley of the Feminist Activist Project. It also like, engages with... Um, feminism and social justice, but in like kind of I guess more digestible way, kind of like through art and um, writing and poetry and um, you know using their strengths to contribute to the conversation around feminism and social justice. That was Christina Wynn, the co-facilitator for the Feminist Activist Project. Christina sees the zine as a way for people to express their anger and frustrations around current events in a way that is more personal and relevant to their skills and talents. She argues that people are freer to say what they want in a way that can reach a lot of people. Zines are an alternative form of activism that allows individuals to have a voice and speak freely on the subjects and events of their choice using a medium that they best identify with. Because activism can manifest in like a variety of ways and one of those ways is through you know creativity and through art and um, you know, self-expression. Activism is defined as the policy or action of using vigorous campaigning to bring about political or social change. But there's no right or wrong way to be an activist. In the past few weeks, UT campus has seen demonstrations all along the political spectrum. But the Feminist Activist Project, like many feminists before them, are, for now, refraining from mainstream ideas of activism. Campus is home to natural and man-made landmarks. Clark Dalton explored one of the natural landmarks on campus, Waller Creek, and just how the university takes care of it. 
When you're taking a stroll down San Jacinto Boulevard, it's hard to dismiss the street's unique shape, a long curve punctuated by a sharp turn to the left. But this isn't a flaw in architecture, it's the beginning of a story, a story that illuminates the power of unification for a moral cause and the consequences felt from repeating the mistakes of the past. 1969 was defined by young people pushing for social progress through the civil rights movement and anti-war protest. However, one cause that didn't receive as much attention was environmentalism. This issue was brought to the forefront in Austin when UT administration wanted to expand an area around the stadium by cutting down 39 oak trees that grew over Waller Creek. Several students were concerned with the ramifications of construction, specifically erosion and what it might do to the natural beauty of the creek. In response, students invaded the construction site, jumping on trees and moving branches to the main mall, forcing university officials to oblige and leave the creek untouched. Today, that bold demonstration hasn't had as much of an impact as you'd think. Waller Creek is far from pristine, as master's environmental science student Lakin Beal explains. And when we look at Waller Creek, um, we find a lot of different things um, as a con consequence to urbanization. For instance, last week, um, I took a class at ITA out to the creek to quantify sort of bacteria um, through space along the creek just outside of the Jackson School building. And we found that the bacteria was substantially higher than we expected, specifically out of pipes that flow into the stream. Um, and when you compare that to sort of contact recreation protocol, um, the creek is substantially higher than any sort of contact recreation recommendations that this at a state level, um, that kind of thing. So it's certainly not a clean um, stream. This situation is made more frightening in the context of Austin's other waterways. According to a recent study, 46 of the city's 76 waterways were infected with high levels of fecal bacteria. Pollution to this degree is a severe public health concern. UT has tried to keep up by reassuring the infrastructure. Yet these efforts may not be enough to reverse the inevitable. A change of this magnitude requires legislative action, beginning with action by the masses. Although most students seem to be more focused on a polarizing president, biology freshman Alexander Kowalski says today's students will be ready to advocate for change when they receive this vital information. I definitely think that if more information was shared with students, there would be a greater drive to help clean up and increase the amount of space that can be utilized around the creek, and that if more information was provided to students, there would definitely be more opportunities and organizations revolving around cleaning and using the creek space. In 2016, UT launched the Waller Creek Framework Plan, an initiative dedicated to the preservation and improvement of Waller Creek. This will be achieved through engineers and architects teaming up to redesign the corridor surrounding the creek. This will impede the flow of water, thereby reducing the amount of sewage in the stream. It will also connect Waterloo and Palm Park, creating a new inviting environment. The plan will be completed later this fall, a step in the right direction. Although the situation is bleak, now isn't the time to give up. Small voices are the conduits that drive major change. An idea perhaps best explained by Dr. Seuss. Unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot, nothing is going to get better. It's not. Everyone has their own opinions, but we don't all express them in the same way. Anna McGinn has a story about a few different activists with their own unique ways to engage in political discussions. Music
I woke up after election day, I feared the America I had believed in was wrong. I had lost hope. But then something started to change. Women across this country started marching. <laughs> Students started organizing. And folks like Beto started running for office. We the people came together to prove that we were better than our fears. That was moments before Beto O'Rourke took the stage at his October 4th rally on campus at UT. Beto is challenging incumbent Ted Cruz in a tight Senate race. Typically, midterms are seen as less exciting than the presidential elections. However, his midterm election is bringing people together, pushing them to vote, and encouraging others to do the same. One of the most common ways to engage in politics is by simply talking about the issues people care about. Whether it's a conversation at the dinner table, in class, or online, people are participating in political discussion. Technology has changed the way people can engage in political conversations. A little over half of Americans have engaged in some type of political or social justice-oriented activity on social media in the past year, according to a 2018 Pew Research study. These activities include organizing protests and rallies, changing your profile picture to show support for a candidate or cause, or using political hashtags. According to the same study, nearly two-thirds of Americans believe that social media is a good platform for underrepresented voices. Sites like Twitter offer anyone with access to a computer the opportunity to be politically engaged. People can talk openly about their opinions and why they might support one candidate over another. However, one negative aspect to this kind of platform is that it is easy to forget that you were talking to a person instead of some online character. DeRay McKesson has experienced the combative side of Twitter, but still acknowledges that the platform can be used for positive engagement. Yeah, so I've seen the good and bad of the platform. You know, the first person ever permanently banned from Twitter was banned for raising money to try and get me killed. So I've seen that part of it. And I've also seen the power of the platform to help people speak and build communities in ways that weren't possible before. When I think about the, the Twitter's responsibility specifically is that I'm mindful that some people come to the platform bad, the platform didn't make them bad, right? And like, you know, bad people exist and we got to figure out what to do with those people way before they get to a platform. Uh, the platform has a lot of responsibility to make sure that those bad people don't form communities of other bad people and like multiply and grow. So it's important that Alex Jones kicked off the platform. It's important because they are like collecting these people and radicalizing them in a way that's really dangerous. Jorge Machado recently graduated from Texas State and as a conservative Mexican-American feels that his voice is underrepresented. A lot of people said, automatically assumed that I was uh, liberal, that I was um, a Democratic voter be simply because um, I am Mexican-American. Instead of turning to social media to make his voice heard, he created his own form of political activism. Machado attends rallies, like the recent Beto rally on campus, with a sign that says, I am a Mexican-American conservative. Ask me anything. Hoping to spark conversation with people who think differently than him. Machado believes it is important to have dialogue about controversial issues, such as immigration policy, economic policy, and education policy. Most importantly, Machado wants to understand why people think the way that they do. But he doesn't believe an online platform is the best platform for that kind of dialogue. But here... Uh, in a face-to-face -face interaction, it's easier to um, know that the person that's talking to you is actually a person and not just this figure that you see typing in on the keyboard. Um, and I think that's very important. Machado believes using 
an online platform to discuss contentious topics can escalate and become unproductive. He also believes that there is no way for society to move forward without discussing these things. The, the human aspect to disagreement is something that we are missing in today's society and I really feel like um, more people coming out and having this discourse, whether it be unpleasant or not, uh, is important to the development of our society and the way that we uh, treat each other in general. That's all for this week. You can find this and all of our other podcasts on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, or wherever else you get your podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at Texan Podcast, and you can also find this and more news online at DailyTexanOnline.com. There were four reporters on this week's show. We had Alexis Thomas, Lawrence Olivo, Anna McGinn, and Clark Dalton. And this week's show was produced by myself, by Morgan, by Zeke Fritz, and by Ryan Steffi. And we've all had them. We haven't all loved them. But roommates are a massive part of our college life. Next week, we're looking into roommates and all that goes into that.